Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and we're going to need some small beers like these. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And this week we're reading Small Things Like These by Claire Keegan. And Nate, starting with a beer. This is Escapist's Daydream by Other Half Brewing. And it is because this book is about the Magdalene Laundries in Ireland, where the girls wanted to escape, <laughs> but they couldn't. No, they except could not. In, except one in this book. And so, uh, spoiler. <laughs> anyway. What is it? Yeah. Mm, this is a... Double IPA. Painkiller cocktail-inspired Imperial Berliner Weiss. What? Is it made with scissor? <laughs> uh, a painkiller is an orange-pineapple kind of mix. Oh, gosh. Definitely pineapple. Definitely pineapple. And, uh, and it is very nice. Very, very nice. It's only tropical? a little bit tart. It's very tropical. Just like Just, Ireland. Yeah. Oh, man. It's gonna <laughs> and called the Emerald Isle for a re- no reason, you know? And very nice on a hot day like this. So it's great. Very nice. So we're reading this because we're going to try to guess. Is that what we're doing? We're going to try to guess the book, the Booker shortlist? We Is picked it, this one because it's the shortest. And whether or not sh- it, it's on the list, it's easy to read. So yeah. the long list came out, and this was the this is the shortest book ever listed for the booker at all. So we're like, sweet, let's do that one. Yeah, let's take the easy so we one. we are going to try and do more. Yeah, so last year, if you go back, we did four out of the six for the short list because we got started late. We, we managed, waited to the last minute. But we managed to get the winner in there bef- and before the... Uh, before the announcement came out choosing solely on which were the the least long (laughs) yeah we picked the four shortest ones and we thought we interpreted the betting odds correctly (laughs) and so we're like yeah fuck it let's do these ones um so i i would like to try to read all of them either for the podcast or just in general and see because i've not done that in years i did it only one time before i read all of them before the before the winner was announced i think and had my pick and i was fucking wrong um but It'll be. That's close, uh, but it'll be fun to try to do that. So we're going to at least try to do the, the short list. But since the short list doesn't get announced until mid-September, and we have some, some leeway, we may end up reading the wrong ones, <laughs> like the loser books, <laughs> like this one probably is. It's uh, an honor <laughs> just to be nominated. Yes. But I highly doubt this one is going to make the short list. Despite being... It's, it's making the short book list, but it's not the short list. So this book... Came out actually at the very end of 2021, uh, November 30th. I guess it's you know whatever the big, you know it's like it's like a fiscal year. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's whatever. probably just the year that takes place after the winter. Of the last yeah, year. probably something like that, right? If anything published after the eligible, because sometimes the book, like the short list or the long list, even comes out, and some of the books have not been actually published yet. Like they're full publishing. They they're just, just have, guessing. Well, they have to yeah, release like a the certain testaments. number. Margaret Atwood wasn't even published yet when it was given the Booker when it won. It was like published that week. She I was think calling her shot. They have to do. They have to really publish a certain number of copies. So they just you know dump a box at some little bookstore with cats in it, and then they it's ha ha did it, and then they send the copies to the panel. And I don't know who's on the panel. I don't really give a fuck. But I have. I have. Didn't we look the, it up, and it was like uh, a bunch of like randos. It's always randos. 
But I have, um, and, and they're not necessarily just other award-winning authors. They're, no, they've, they've tried to make it a more diverse group of people. It's, it's like sometimes you're like a little questionable. Larry like, the Cable Guy. Why? <laughs> <laughs> this book gets her done. Uh, I think this should be it. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I guess if you only had, you know, say, college professors of literature, you're going to get only the same kind of book every year. Um, but yeah, so the panel, I don't know who these people are. I looked them up, but they're all like, if you were a nerd in England, you might know these names. <laughs> Never heard of Neil McGregor, who could be any guy in England, in the UK. M. John Harrison, Helen Castor, Oil. Shahida Bari and Alan. Oh man, I'm gonna fuck up your name, Alan Mabanko. I don't know. Don't know any of them. Didn't read the biographies. Don't care. But I do have a theory about like the kinds of books that win. I mean, having read a lot of them over the years, I feel like there's certain criteria that a book has to meet or usually meets to be the winner. Are they and on an important issue? That was like the first thing. Is like, is it like topical? Or does it provide a commentary on an important social or political thing? But that doesn't always hold up because, like, The Promise was about apartheid, which, of course, that's important and shit, but that's also, like, fucking 30 years ago now. Like, get yeah. over it, South Africa. are also 25, but they're just But it was only, like, a couple it. of years ago when they were <laughs> finding mass graves and being like, whoops. Yeah. Oopsies. Oh, that's not where I left my shillelagh. And then they fucking... <laughs> uh, let's talk about the book. Yeah, fine. And then we'll talk about all that stuff. Can I just say that one of the judges is nicknamed the African Beckett, which I, I don't know. That's a ridiculous nickname. Waiting for Mbife is his famous <laughs> play. Is it really? No, but that would oh, be amazing. okay. <laughs> it's Waiting for Dikembe. It's just... A story about Dikembe Mutombo <laughs> at the side of a road. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna have to cut that. <laughs> what? That's a real person who <laughs> plays in the NBA Hall of Famer. One of the greatest centers of all of the last 40 I saw, years. I saw him once. He's very large. Oh, it must have been frightening to see a human being that big. It was. It was. Uh, sorry, Nate. What's this book about? <laughs> no. serious. Okay, so the book starts... Uh, with a guy named Bill Furlong, and he lives in Ireland, and it says where, it says River Barrow, wherever that is. I'm sure if you're from Ireland, you know exactly where this is, because Ireland's just not that If it's even a real place. Ireland, that is. Yeah, Ireland. (laughs) Ireland's a real place. Allegedly. Allegedly Ireland. All right. So anyway, (laughs) this takes place in the 1980s. But it Which reads is like time. the 30s for the first chunk of it until they say it was 1985. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, really? Man, Ireland <laughs> sucked. <laughs> it's like so, Angela's ashes. <laughs> it, Ireland had, was very uh, not great economically for quite a while. You could kind of say until about 2005. <laughs> it was really, the Irish really not tiger doing or whatever well. they Celtic that. tiger. Can I just say saying Irish is, Ireland's economy was very not great is like the equivalent of they're laughing with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 we're not investing in you, Ireland. <laughs> there are many reasons for that. But anyway, in, uh, in the 80s, this is when... So the main character, he delivers coal. Like he gets shipments of coal and then delivers them out to places. But even that 
was not doing great because coal is being coal uh coal's being shut down. Uh the coal mines are being are being closed down and lots of places are losing a lot of jobs. Uh lots of people didn't have enough money and of the previous not last year's Booker winner, but the year before Shuki Bane is about exactly that, but in Scotland instead of Ireland. Anyway, so potato, the guy potato <laughs> 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 kind of yeah so anyway bill furlong uh, the beginning he just talks about how like yeah he how what it's like to deliver the coal he has to like you know drive the truck around the truck is definitely like not seen is seen better days but whatever and then he talks about how he was raised by mrs wilson who owns the like bed and breakfast in town though it's really and a farm more like she a was a she was a rich lady a well, been a Protestant. And she was a Protestant. Protestant. Yes, she lived off her husband's war pension. And back in 1946, one her one of her maids or one of her one of the people she's employed she employs as a maid or like a you know house ha- assistant house you know, girl house girl yeah exactly at the age of 16 became pregnant. Became and pregnant all of a sudden. Pre- how, how does that happen? I still just don't happened. know. But <laughs> she tripped and she woke up and she was pregnant. It's happened once before for the Catholics. <laughs> it happened again. It never says her name, right? Meh. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> no, she didn't. never says his mother's name. But anyway, so his mother got pregnant at age sixteen, and her family just decided to disown her. Like, not um. Pretty standard. Like, treatment it literally says like they had made it clear they'd have nothing more to do with her. So Mrs. Wilson, the Protestant, you know, hotel owner, is like, "You can stay here. You'll keep working for me, but we'll raise the baby." And so they do. It's also never said who his father is, well, although can't. there, is, although never specifically, but you get a pretty strong hint, which is probably it's, meant to be. That's what it is. It's yeah. It's one of the other farmhand guys that someone's like oh are you his cousin you look just like him later on so one like, of oh. the, one of the wilsons oh yeah yeah, yeah. and he's like no not him uh i'm not i'm doing wrong door and he just leaves and he's like oh. let me just yeah. suppress that for the rest of my life till i have a heart attack at 52 years old he's just uh, kind of now now um bill here is you know has a wife and five kids actually wife and five so daughters that's a lot of daughters nate <laughs> now it's like Tevia. It's, it's like, what? Who? Fiddler on the Roof guy? Tevia. What is Tevia? He's the main character of Fiddler on the Roof who oh. has five daughters and has to see them all married off. Oh, well, he hasn't gotten to that part yet. But he's got five daughters and a wife. That's seven people in one house. You think that whenever they have to, like, oh, <laughs> drink, whenever they have to, like, make a cake, it has <laughs> to have seven layers in it? <laughs> This is Seven Layer Stout, and it's from Front Porch Brewing, and it is going to fuck me up. Does that have, like, cheese, refried beans, beans and guacamole in it? <laughs> God, what? No, I wish. No, this is... Do a, you wish? Yes, I do wish. <laughs> you don't drink the liquid burrito? Um, this is 10% stout, uh, pecans, cacao nibs, coconut, butterscotch, marshmallow, Graham crackers and lactose. Nice. So, good luck to me. I guess that was seven things. Oh you my made. god, okay. it's so fucking good. <laughs> I'm just 
like drinking a cake. <laughs> can you taste the layers? I can taste each layer. As, as parts of my toes stop feeling things. I don't need all of them. Um, it's like I'm almost... It's almost like I'm drinking a Reese's peanut butter cup. <laughs> but it's not like peanut. It's like a different kind of nut. Not these nuts, but those. Um, but it is, uh, it's, it's really fucking good. <laughs> this is the kind of thing that you'll really regret drinking four or seven of, you know. I know anything about that. Uh, I've really, uh, <laughs> never done that before. And 49 layers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's magnificent. Magnificent. So... Much like the suffering in Ireland at all times. <laughs> <laughs> so we find out Furlong has worked his way up from his very humble origins to be a modestly successful guy. It's not like a Horatio Alger story or something, but he is like the head or like in charge of he the whole thing. It's his, yeah, it's his own. He's he'd be you know moved up from being like the trash that people openly talked about to now they whisper the insults about him and he is I mean, he has wealthy uh, I mean, and his family's he's important not, to him yeah he's not wealthy but he you know he makes some money but he's still like he's still like well we're gonna have to replace the tires on the truck so looks like we're not gonna get new curtains for the house this year or next year or the year after that <laughs> so it's he's still like it's a very low margin business, sounds like. But also, it could be part of that. Just when you grow up poor, you're afraid of being poor again. So you're very cautious. And now, they're, they're not like struggling to make it by. I think he's just very, very cautious. Like, when he, like what do you want for Christmas? He's like, I would like a book. And I was like, which one? He's like, I don't know. We only have one. So and just don't get that one again. It's the Book of Kells. <laughs> the Book of <laughs> Really, yeah, I'm really into illuminated manuscripts. Just the one. Basically, he, you know, like the first like half of the book is Furlong just kind of pack story like revealed, and then it's you know the actual plot that takes place in real time is that it's leading up to Christmas and he has to deliver a lot of coal. He's the anti Santa Claus because <laughs> <laughs> everyone in Ireland's been bad. They all get coal. <laughs> oh, so he's English then? Yeah, right. So I'm taking all your potatoes and giving you coal. No, they would have preferred the coal at some points in the year, I guess. Um, so, you know, he's got his wife and all their kids, and they're like, he's doing all the right things, right? He's trying to improve his lot, and clearly this, you know, what it was on paper 1985 London, uh, excuse me, England, but no, fucking man, Ireland, but it's really 1485 <laughs> the rest of the world. Because all they have is the church and what sounds like the worst thing in the world, two of his daughters are taking accordion lessons. <laughs> Fuck, that is horrible. <laughs> what is he atoning for? <laughs> and, uh, the sin you know, of being a bastard. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. It is paid down twice to the next generation. <laughs> two accordions. So uh, I just want to have a beer. Um, fast forward... We're going to find out those Magdalene laundry things later where they clearly are abusing uh, abusing these young women. And what, when you smack them around with, what might you use but <sighs> your your palms? Uh, <laughs> palms. This book, this beer is called Palms. Uh, that's it. What fucking homophones don't count anymore? This is an IPA from Finback. That's 7% alcohol. And it is, uh, 
They're in collaboration with Ardwolf, which is a bizarre. It's like a like a jackalope, I guess. I don't know what Ard- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what an Ardwolf where Ardwolf Brewing is or what it is, but uh, you know, it's IPA brewed dry hop with Simcoe, Citra, and Chinook. Don't see that one too often these days. And I went into to Finback. Um, and and usually- Ardwolf is an insectivorous mammal. Is it really a thing? It means earth wolf in Afrikaans. Is it different than an aardvark? An aardvark is, uh, isn't that kind of like an anteater looking thing? That is an anteater. Is it the same thing? It, they eat insects. An aardwolf, it looks like a little hyena with stripes. Oh, really? Oh, they're cute. Okay, it's oh. an African wild dog kind of thing. Oh, nice. All right. There you go. Aardwolf. Well, well, I went to defend back and was looking for Eric, our, our guy that we, the guy that I always bother and always helps me out with uh, getting kegs and stuff. And then they were like, Eric's not here. He's on vacation. Like, what the fuck do you mean he's not here? <laughs> I, I am thirsty. <laughs> I have driven many minutes to be here. Dozens. And then the guy was, a dozen minutes is about how long it takes. And then a different guy was like, oh, yeah. I said, I just like, is Eric here? And he's like, no. Are you Mike? <laughs> that was the follow-up. I was like, I was like how did you uh, know? Maybe. <laughs> I'm really, really curious to know. Like, so every once in a while, guys, just be prepared. Uh, there's this guy that's going to lumber in. Just be nice to him. He's special. Um, he's going to talk a lot about his fucking podcast. Just just ignore that shit and give him a beer and he'll leave you alone. Uh, so this is a great IPA. It doesn't taste like insects or aardvarks or aardwolves, but, you know. You don't know that. Oh, two of the three. Uh, And we should say that this is brought to us by our supporters over at Patreon. So if you want to support the podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash Drunk Guys Book Club, where you could help keep the beers flowing by exchanging your dollars for stuff like early access to episodes, exclusive content, voting in our monthly book poll, joining us for live, exclusive Patreon-only episodes, getting physical shit mailed to you, all sorts of stuff. Uh, it's it's just it's so much better than Ireland in 1985. If you are mm. part of our Patreon, demonstrably, I mean, there's the internet, so it's already better. But uh, if you want to help out, you go to uh, patreoncom book So uh, we'll get to back to the the palms part, the hitting. So now the plot <laughs> happens later. <laughs> yeah. So Bill has uh, so it's like Christmas Eve. Yeah, it's Christmas Eve, and it's also a Sunday. One of those two. It's the day before Christmas Eve. Anyway, it, it, so, but that's also a mass. That's like a heavy duty mass day. Anyway, they uh So anyway, he has one last delivery to make, and he's like, I, uh, you know, because everyone is ordering coal because they're all heating their houses with coal, and it's gonna be really cold. So every he has to. And they want to get it before everything is closes for the holidays. Coal. So you're not cold anymore. <laughs> <laughs> So turns out he has like one last delivery and it's, he's like, is it going to have, he's like, I'm going to have to do it on Sunday. Is that okay? And it's to the convent. He has to, so he's going to deliver to the convent. So he gets up pretty early and dry, you know, he packs it up the day before. So it's all the car, the car, the, the car, the, the lorry is loaded and he drives it over and it's Sunday morning. It's, it's so he, cold that the padlock is frozen and he needs the neighbor to boil water to unfreeze it. Like, and she was already out. boiling water for tea, and he's like, just, can I borrow that? <laughs> they're just relentless tea drinkers over there, so it's fine. 
If they hadn't said it is 1985, I would have. There's no way I would have thought it was anything after 1940 in this. Yeah, they talk. They talk a a couple times about. um, I forgot his name, Hoey or whatever the fuck his name was, the uh, Irish politician who was big in the 80s. Mm, I don't know. Charles Ho. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's you know. I think it's. I think it's Hoey. Um, or hawhee sounds like a fucking horse, actually. Um, <laughs> that's hee haw backwards. Yes, but he was a bit. He was a Irish prime minister, and they're like this fucking guy again, or the the tea sick or whatever he was. Um, he they talk about him seeing it on TV. And I was like, they have fucking TVs in Ireland during the Great War, and then you're like, oh right, right, 1985. It's not like they're watching MTV though. There's no, they're, they're just watching Irish Irish C-SPAN. Don't know. We can't make a good joke out of that off the top of my head. I don't know if you got something, Jimmy. Sea spud. Sea spud. <laughs> so he goes to uh, deliver the coal on Sunday morning, and he like it needs to, to like you know he, it's really cold. He shows up. He's delivering it to the convent. Yeah, to the convent. Yes. So he goes to the convent to deliver the coal, and he like opens the coal shed, and there's a girl inside who's. Not dead, she's alive, which of course she's freezing cold and covered in like coal soot. And, and she's she like it on the floor. Yeah, that is specifically mentioned, yeah. For a book of like 90 pages, there's a good paragraph about his shitting on the floor. <laughs> and he's like, oh my God. And he like, get, you know, grabs her, you know, helps her out and is like, knocks on the, he, like he, the, the door to the convent hasn't been opened yet. Like they haven't, they haven't come out to see him yet. So he like knocks and he's like, oh my God, you got to help. And she says, oh no, wait, that's not this time. This actually happens. We skipped a whole this bunch of parts. This happens later. We this skipped the later. first part. The first part, he goes to the, to deliver the coal and he, he uh, drops it off. And then one of the girls there, cause he knows there's like girls that live there, but he doesn't really know why. No one, no one really talks about it there. There's a lot of weird rumors and no one wants to mention it. But they're always like the, his wife, ta- uh, maybe it's, before this, or, or, or right around the time, the same the wife is like, "Those girls are there for a reason. They're it's not our problem. It's not our problem. They're, it's their families put them there, or the state put them there, or Jesus put well, them they're there. They're better off there. Yeah, they're and they're fallen sinners. You know, they're fallen women. That's what they are. You know, yeah. So well, it doesn't fine. say doesn't really say that in the book specifically. I mean, we're the wife talk says like that. she's like they're fucked up. They're there. It's like they're it's their fault that they're there. She says something along that line. Yeah, I she? think the phrase "fallen women" is used in the real world, but I don't think they ever said it in this book. No, I don't. I'm just saying that. But like the gist is well, the gist was the problem. Demsby sluts. So he shows up, and there are some uh, girls, like teenage girls, like scrubbing the floor. And when this, when the nun isn't there, one of the one of them says, "Mister, won't you help us? Just take me as far as the river. That's all you need to do. To the river, or you could just let me out the gate. I'll work for you. I'll do anything." And then she says, "Well, I've nobody. All I want to do is drown myself." Can you not do that fucking much for us? It's like, whoa, holy shit. Watch your mouth, whore. <laughs> was it, he doesn't what? know that, you know, that they're even being called whores because he doesn't, he's like, what are these girls doing here? He doesn't get it. And then when he's leaving that time, he sees like, oh, that's weird. Every door here has a lock on it with a key. And the lock tops on the, of the inside. Yeah, from the inside. And the, the, um, 
all the walls around the convent are topped with little bits of broken glass so no one yeah. can climb over them. It's like, huh, that's weird for a convent. Yeah, I'm glad. And that then the... he goes back to deliver the coal and finds the girl in the shed. Right, then he goes home. That's what, Then he goes home and has the conversation with his wife. He's like, what do you think about that? And she's like, just fucking mind your business, dude. <laughs> Enjoy your one book you're going to get for Christmas. He's like, I, yes, that's, that'd be good. I cha-chai. Is it chai tea? Is that what and he's like, you got to go back. And he's like, you know, say it, I, say it ain't so. I will not go. All the Fucking, small things. Oh, my God. <laughs> like these. Keep your lips still. I'll be your thrill. My little windmill. That's the last verse. <laughs> uh, uh, Don Quixote? That it, Blink-182 is a surprisingly literary band. Uh, I think it was, uh, it's probably the one, uh, the, the best example is their song, I Want to Fuck a Dog in the Ass. Yeah. Uh, I which that, I think that was a lot of Keats. That was also Beckett. <laughs> it was Beckett. <laughs> Do you know yeah, Weapon the, of Choice, the Fat the Boy Slim song? California Beckett. <laughs> yeah. Is that, about, is that based on Beckett? No, it's based on Dune. There's read like the, no words to that song. The, there's, there's a few sentences in it. The lyrics are like, like. I like spice. It's like, keep, like, you got to move your feet. Irregularly, to, so they can't feel the vibrations or some shit like that. It's, some, it's about it's the some, fucking sandworms. It's about the sandworms. The whole fucking song is about Dune. <laughs> oh my god! I thought I liked that song. I like it better than Dune, no doubt about it. <laughs> so he goes back and he finds this girl in the shed, and he's like, "No, I didn't leave this here. This is this is going to take forever to burn." <laughs> it does uh, not provide much heat in my. He's experience. like, "Wow, you're an anthracite for sore eyes." <laughs> No, all right. No uh, cold and puns. so he that this is when he finds the girl in the coal shed, and she's freezing. It's like and he's like and she and says she's been there a long time. And she says, you know, they won't even let me see my child. And something like and clearly her her uh, breasts are still leaking milk. She's, she's she says fourteen week old kid, fourteen week old. So he goes and like brings her to the front door, and they bring her in. And then the nun has like a sort of like disapproving look. It's like, okay, you can come in. And they like show her in and clearly give her a quick bath. But it's almost like, oh, you know, company is here. So we have to, you know, put on a good face or we have to like hide the hide what's really going on from this guy. Yeah, you really fucked up, kid, by being locked in the coal shed. (laughs) What an asshole. You'll deal with. You'll pay for this later. Yeah, and they tell him like, "Oh, why don't you just stay for tea?" And so he does. And so, uh, and then after only a couple minutes, the girl comes back down, and clearly she's had a very quick bath, and a, and comes out. She's like, "Oh, yes, I'm uh, better now." Yeah, and but she clearly isn't. And then afterward, he realizes that oh, he forgot to ask about her baby, which is what she wanted him to do. But he didn't. And then, and, um, then the, and then the mother superior was like, hey, have this card, you know, for the payment of the coal. Also, there's a little something extra in there because it's Christmas. Christmas, you know. And also, by the way, you know that school we run that all the girls in city go to? It's pretty full. It'd be mighty unfortunate if your girls couldn't get in, right? But you don't need us. Two accordion players in the chorus nope. to accompany them? Actually, they can't come anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so he's like, uh, okay. But he also like, is like a weird like power games. He's like, I'm going to stay like to make her uncomfortable a little bit longer. Like he was having none of it? 
Yes. <laughs> he wanted to make her feel inferior, uh, but she was still really good at making him feel like a shithead because all of Ireland has been horribly repressed by the Catholic Church for the last couple centuries. Couple? <laughs> well, like, it's got... Millennia. It's, well, I don't I mean, they only, they only got there, like, about, you know, a thousand years ago. But uh, there's... Wasn't there some some study that came out that's like something like half of all Irish children had been molested by some huge huge number I of Ir- it. Yeah. of Irish children had been sexually abused by clergy members. So it's like a it's not quite a theocracy or it wasn't quite a theocracy, but there's like widespread just like in every fear. in all but name. I mean, it's like they only like outlawed or legalized you know like sodomy and abortion like today basically so um but they it was a, a the church ran Catholic everything state. yeah so I, I, that's a, a question i have about these these laundry things that we'll get to later like who was actually well how that worked i think you guys probably know more than me but this is one of those magdalene laundries which is where you send mary magdalene and her other hose because if it says it it was in the book of i think it was john, the gospel of john mary magdalene cleaned a mean sheet <laughs> And she always folded the corners crisply, so like it was the Lord's will for these fallen women to become laundresses. Yeah. So it's like Christmas Eve, and so uh, Bill kind of like you know he does the family stuff, and then he goes out. He, there's like he you know, goes to the little like family parties and sees, you know, and has a good time. But then he sees one of his friends. One of his, uh, so he sees somebody and starts to like talk about it. And the woman is like, no, he goes, he has the company Christmas party basically and takes all his work out to the restaurant. And the lady who runs the restaurant is like, I hear you saw some stuff at the convent. Maybe shut your fucking mouth, huh? But like friendly. (laughs) But if you say it with a nice Irish accent, it all sounds friendly. It just, it's magical when you do it that way. Yeah. He's like, oh, ta 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 ta. And you're like, oh, that's, that's the good crack or whatever fucking dumb Irish phrase you say. Crack, yeah. Good crack. Good crack, yeah. Crack. But, you know, you'd want to watch over what you'd say about about what's there. Keep the enemy close, the bad dog with you, and the good dog will not bite. You know yourself. That saying doesn't make any sense. Tis no business of mine, as I've said, but surely you must know these nuns have a finger in every pie. Specifically. Yeah. The muff variety. <laughs> <laughs> Because she was confused, like, did you walk in on those nuns lezzing out? And he was like, oh, not even, no, if, ew, maybe? Forget what I said then. And she's like, never mind. Fuck, what, I don't know what I was talking about, dogs there. And the, the So he's, he's warned, like, don't talk about this. Don't make this a thing. And at, he, at first, he's just kind of like, uh, okay. But then... It's, like, later in the evening, he goes to, like, finish doing some, like, Christmas shopping, including buying a pair of shoes for his wife. Oh, it's right? the goddamn Christmas yeah, shoes song. And then he's, like, walking back home, but then he decides to, instead of walk back home, walk up to the convent, and then it's, it's nighttime. It's, like, night on Christmas Eve. Christmas? Yeah. So, so it's nighttime, and he goes to the coal shed, and unlocks the door, and there's the girl again. She's still there. Or, or she's back. You skipped a few things as well. Important things? <laughs> well, he, he, um, 
it's the next day because he goes he goes to church with his family because they've missed first mass and he's all pissed like we've got to go to second mass now yeah 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 this is the next day or yeah, and like then hob- he goes hobbits to see, for mass he goes to see Ned the guy who worked uh, for Mrs Wilson that, that practically raised him and like taught him to shave and how to tie his shoes. And he remembers like talking to Ned back in the day about all this stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, Ned was a cool guy. And, and he gets to Ned's place and someone op- opens the door. He's like, oh, Ned's sick. Uh, but you can come in. You, you must be related to him, right? You look just like all of them. It's like, nope, nope, not goodbye. And he's like, oh, Ned's probably his dad. It's like, so. He also mentions his mom just died of some abrupt illness and never revealed who the father was. So he's never known. Yeah. And Miss Wilson claims he's asked Ned, uh, you know, in the past, I think, but never, never said. And then he's like, "All right, I'm gonna go back for that girl in the coal shed." Yeah, he walks up to the convent, grabs the, uh, opens the door to the coal shed, and she's in there. He does a lot of soul searching. Well, he found the shoes right away. The shoes? I don't remember the shoes yet. The girl wasn't wearing any shoes. Souls. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Hate you. There's, there's just one key line, right? He says, he found himself asking, was there any point in being alive without helping one another? And then it's like, he's like, let me go fucking help that poor young mother who's being clearly like git mode over there. It's like whatever they're fucking doing there. Well, the next sentence is also very important for Irish people. Of course, yeah. Can you, I'm going to read it. Was it possible to carry on along through all the years, the decades, through an entire life without once being brave enough to go against what was there and yet call yourself a Christian and face yourself in the mirror. And he's like, Ugh. It's just as long as you don't call me Protestant. Uh, that's basically... <laughs> <laughs> so he rescues the girl, brings her home, and the book ends. So they walk all the way back home. Like, and it's nighttime, and it's snowing, and she doesn't have any shoes... Now, he happens to be holding a pair of shoes that he's, he's not like, here, where are these? He's like, no, if you've made it this far, you can make all the way home. She's, and people see, see them on the street, and they're like, who is that one of your, do- oh, God, oh, oh, and then they, like, stay away. Ex- maybe you don't exactly know what it is. And then uh, brings, her, brings her home, and he thought of Mrs. Wilson, yep. of her daily kindnesses, of how she had corrected and encouraged him, of the small things she had said and done and refused, and, and of the small things she had said and done and had refused to do and say what, uh, what she must have done. The things, when added up, amounted to a life. But keep going, though. Had it not been for her, his mother might very well have wound up in that place. His, mo- his mom was an unwed mother. Unwed Catholic mother. Yeah, and they're like, oh, fucking whore. And so, like, where, what is, he's like, that is almost, that's where anyone else in my position ended up, or anyone else in my mother's position ended up. We just got really lucky, and I think it's not a coincidence, it's by the Protestant that helps them, as opposed to, you know, the Catholic Church, which is... Though apparently the Protestants had one too. Oh, yeah, sure. According to Wikipedia. Of course they, but I think the author here, because she, the author is from an Irish... She's the Irish Martin pig. Luther laundries. <laughs> you can wash all, all variety of theses out of, <laughs> out of your drawers. The, uh, <laughs> 95 different the, kinds of theses. <laughs> the Calvinist laundries. 
all the laundry is dirty <laughs> and then you die. <laughs> it Can't is determined when the shirt is made, if it will be clean or dirty. <laughs> and you, you just have to go with it. I think having 95 feces would be quite an accomplishment, though. You got 95 feces, but a shit ain't one. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the, the author is Irish, uh, and she is old enough. She was born in the 60s, I want to say. I looked it up. I think it was a 68 or something like that. Old enough where had to be like at least vaguely aware that this happened. And it's certainly well, been they closed adult. the last one in 1996. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we got that good Sunday agreement thing. I guess we could stop locking up the teen mothers and prostitutes. Uh, but she's also from a Catholic background. So I think being critical of the Catholic Church in Ireland is part of her. Like being critical of this particular thing, of these laundry things, but also the Catholic Church in general, mm. has to be part of this. Um, and of part of, of that Irish story. people not having the you know the gall to do anything about it. I'm like, oh, just don't talk about it. It's fine. They deserve it. They're well, just it, kids that we're just going to let be slaves. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but also, you know, for a lot of religious people, there's this. There, but for the grace of God, go I thing, mm-hmm. and they're like, I'm not going to get in metal in that shit. Like it is only through God's grace that I too am not suffering, so I'm not going to meddle. I don't need to be involved. I don't need to. The nuns you know, I'm just going to mind my business. Things, you know, the church can't do anything wrong. <laughs> no, the church is there to save us. Like they're clearly, they're. I just don't know the whole story. Yeah, pass the potatoes. So he brings the girl home. And literally says, like, literally brings her to his own home and, like, go brings her to the front door. And then the end. We're going to Boom. need an eight-layer cake. <laughs> and that is the end of the book. That's it. Which would have been really book... It would have been amazing if the whole time when they're like, Merry Christmas, he was like, ho, ho. And then at the end, he's like, I got the last ho. And then he brings her there. <laughs> no? If it was like a one of the lethal weapons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> All right, Nate, what is your real thought? <laughs> okay, well, we should talk about um, a little bit of the history of the Magdalene Laundry, so, just to explain a little bit about what was going on, because going on, the book only barely hinted at it, and really kind of expected you to already know. And probably if you're Irish, you would already know, but I didn't, because I'm not Irish. Uh, so, the Magdalen Laundries were, according to Wikipedia, the first one was started in the 1700s, but for the most part, they were big in the 1800s and 1900s, and they were originally designed to take prostitutes off the street, and, but, but it was where also could they basically... Walk? They're street walkers. <laughs> but it was also, it was also like prison. So, they were supposed yeah. to like take them off the street it was at least in the definitely in the 1800s like well it 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 expanded to unwed mothers prostitutes unwed mothers and other people it also expanded they were taken in eventually to girls who talked back to their parents or were just like too hot <laughs> they were like yeah, or like too some, sassy. Yeah, some were too hot it's true like, one if oh, they were just too pretty so, like that's that was one of the things it uh, said in here, although she doesn't have enough in, freckles in some Under parts, <laughs> in some parts I said, well, there is no record of 
the Magdalene Laundry's taking in pregnant girls in the in the 1900s, in the 20th century. But then it also says in many places the records do not exist. Yeah, like there aren't good records, or the records that exist have been sealed. And they just found the one that was of like a pit of hundreds of dead babies. I really actually dis- think they were dead women. Yeah, it was like 160 or so, 150 something dead women. And they only had a lot of dead babies. And they only that was just in one location though. Death yeah. certificate, but they only had death certificates for like 75 of them, which is an illegal fucking. That's like illegal, right? You can't like bury a person and not have a death certificate in Ireland, at least. You know, you know, Staten Island, maybe not. But they <laughs> fucking they're like, whoops! I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened there. The Lord embalms in mysterious ways. And then, uh, and nothing happened to the church. No, like, why would it? I mean, at least in the States, the church has sometimes been giving money to those diddled boys, but over there, you know, after, after decades of denying it, <laughs> they come around in the end, or they come around in a boy's end. Um, so uh, the other thing, I mean, this is just the Wikipedia article, but it says that it did nothing to stop prostitution. Dick's got to get it sucked, Nate. No, it had <laughs> no effect because there was still demand and there were still plenty of poor people. And so poor women who were desperate. So it did nothing to actually stop prostitution. It like just real jail. imprisoned a lot of people. It's the oldest profession. You're not going to stop them. They have the strongest union. Like, <laughs> <laughs> local whores won. <laughs> just look at the early numbers. It's it's, it's, it's that, that kind of thinking is so like Victorian era-ish. Just like... But they still do it here. <laughs> no, I think, you know, it, it is a puritanical kind of view of things, of, of, of sex work, to use the, the more... Uh, a less offensive term than whoring, I suppose, <laughs> to describe it. But it also just in this case in Ireland, especially though, like since the mid eighteen hundreds, like this was not this was like not women of loose morals. It was like desperate, poor, starving people, and yeah, and they're like, get your get it together, Kathleen, <laughs> and <laughs> ridiculous, and. It was cheap labor. Like, essentially, these women were taken in and and imprisoned. And it was really part of the, you know, part of the justice system. And that's where they made the game Mousetrap. I don't think that's true. I fucking... Look it up. Really? They designed it? No, no. (laughs) They built it in there. It wasn't... They weren't all laundries. They were also, like... Assembly lines for stuff, and they built the fucking game like Hasbro stuff at some of them. Nice. I don't know if it was ones made in the ones that went to America, it might have been only the you know European ones. I don't know where they got shipped to, but they used them for a bunch of stuff. It's basically just cheap labor for everything. It was slavery, basically. Also, they was... sold a lot of the babies, it's like adoption things. Oh, you know, oh, it's adopted, but you'd pay a lot of money for it. Well, you know. There's also, like, they had fucking, like, workhouses all throughout Ireland. Like, I remember, like, when, uh, like, Ireland's like a pit, like a black hole of clerical data. Like, so, like, if you're ever, like, trying to do your family history and you find that you're Irish, like, fucking give up. Um, Like, there's just no documents there. 
everything was just written in potato ink or something. It just doesn't <laughs> age well. But uh, I, I was able to find out about some family member, and it's like, oh, wow, this is my great, great, great grandmother lived. And it's like an obituary thing. It's like, oh, my God, she died in this horrible workhouse. Well, they where, they like, built the workhouses during the famine, or you know, the famine and all the other famines they had routinely. Um, because it was the opinion of the British government at the time that like, you can't just give people food or money. You, they have to work for us. They said them doing like meaningless shit, like building Even roads. Even children. Yeah, ki- everybody. Kids. Even children yeah. had to work in order to get even anything. Carry how will they including to be and back. How will they learn the value of a pound if they don't do it, gentlemen? Those, yeah. those goddamn children. They built workhouses all over to make kids work so they could have some soup. It's like Oliver Twist. Yeah. Oliver McTwist. <laughs> or is it like Oliver? Like Oliver, what an apostrophe there. Oliver? I barely know her. <laughs> so uh, Ireland, Ireland's done some fucked up shit. Uh, yeah. And you know, unlike other developed countries, they had the they did the stupid thing of doing it to their own people, uh, as opposed <laughs> to every other country. We're like, let's do it to those like minority groups that like lived here before, or those people we enslaved. Or like, they're like, no, let's just do it to other fucking Irish people. <laughs> Hitler fucking. did it to other people. Big mistake. But like, like everyone's like, oh man, America's like done some fucked up shit. I was like, yeah, but it was like mostly to not white people, which is the problem. <laughs> Whereas Ireland, they're like, fucking, fucking. Do that patty down the block. Like, it's fucked up. It's fucking terrible. That's why all of them live in New York and Boston now. Like, fuck, fuck this city. Fuck this country. There are more people of Irish descent in America than there are people in Ireland. By like a ridiculous. It's like multiple. Twice. Yeah. Like two, three, four times. Yeah. But it's also just so they can get shit faced on St. Patrick's Day. Like, oh, I'm fucking Irish. It's just cool. You know, a few years ago, I forget which which like state senator in New York tried to get St. Patrick's Day to be like a school holiday, and like the children don't need that day off. <laughs> <laughs> the adults need March eighteenth off. <laughs> <laughs> there was another. So there was awesome. a <laughs> there was a politician in Ireland from one of the small towns, which was almost all of it. Yeah, who was trying to fight making drunk driving illegal. <laughs> Because huh. where he was from, no driving. Where he, he was, was from, in favor of drunk driving. Was, you know, he didn't want to make it a crime because where decriminalize he was, it. All you could do, like everyone lived in the fucking boonies, all isolated. The only place they saw the people was at the pub, and they would go to the pub and they would drink. And there's no cabs to get home, so they all have to drive home. They don't have a choice. So it's like if you make drunk driving illegal, these people will never see each other again. I was like, he's or they will. <laughs> They'll just keep They'll drunk just driving. Be... There's no cops anyway. When you're on like a one donkey road, it's probably not as big a deal. Not that I'm encouraging drunk driving, but uh, you're not going to hit the I, other car in town. Yeah, right. <laughs> what are the what are the odds? They're both out drunk at the same time. No, actually, 100%. pretty good. It's 100. Yeah. <laughs> pretty solid. Uh, they leave together. <laughs> Well, then they could carpool. <laughs> <laughs> they could both die in the same wreck. Uh, but at least only one car. Okay. So as a book, I feel like while the book is fine and there's nothing wrong with a short book in general, 
totally great. More short books, better. All in favor. But this book ended in what would be like chapter three of, <laughs> of, of what a real would book. be a sort of more typical novel. Like when, oh, now, now we have to see what happens. Yeah, like, now there's conflict. One, <laughs> chapter one is his like, oh, yeah, I never knew who my father was and my mom died, but my this Protestant lady raised me. Chapter two... I've discovered the, like, girls in the Magdalene Laundry. I'm very conflicted about this. Chapter three is going to rescue one, and then the book ended. Like, this really should be just the beginning of a longer work. Now, okay, obviously, I'm not a writer. I have a, so I have a reason. who am I to reason. say what a writer should do? So, clearly, the, the, the author, Claire... Keegan is a way better writer than I am because, you know, when you divide by zero, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's Error. like she's infinity better than I will ever be. But I feel like could have done a lot more with this story and through that said a lot more about the Magdalene Laundries themselves. I, I have par- I have some yeah. kind of rationalization for it. I don't. I also think like, oh, like it started before the, it ended before the story really took off. But if I, ha- if I had to come up with a reason why it did that, it's because it's maybe this whole thing is, you know, uh, what's it called? Like a, a metaphor or an analogy for Ireland's actual experience with the laundries as A, being like, what the fuck is that? And everyone's saying, hey, don't talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. And suddenly, someone says, we're going to talk about this. And it ends because Ireland hasn't really been... You know, they've started, but it's kind of They haven't really come to terms with it? No. They've not come to terms with it. They've they've just admitted, oh, that was a thing. Maybe it's some sort of like, you know, analogy. What's the fucking word for that? What do you mean? The word for what? You know, when, uh, when like a book is like... it. Allegory or something? Allegory, that's the word. When the book ends without any closure or real, like, discussion well, about what, what was going on. I'm saying, like, this guy's this guy's the, fact the allegory for Ireland's early. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. I think, I agree with you, Nate. I think there's a lot more meat left on this bone. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. it's, just, it's just getting to it. But I think also we have to keep in mind that Claire Keegan is most famous for being a short story writer. It was a very so, long short story. <laughs> this was just a longer short story. A novella, she, almost. It is in, in some articles I read about it. It is called a novella, which it's it's got the hot women like a telenovela. <laughs> they're just scrubbing, you know, coal floors or whatever. Oh, they're, they're 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 kids. No, it's it's a <laughs> she she so she writes in a you know shorter format and um, typically though she has expanded things. I'm sure she could write a fucking mean book, uh, but I think that's part of her style and. I think her question, I think her, her focus here is about like, I think like one for one, like we don't know what's going to happen right at the end of the book. We don't know what's going to happen between Furlong and this girl and the community or whatever. But like he's like done this thing to save her potentially. This like incredible charitable act, which is not the same thing as um, fixing the system at all, right? Like the system is still fully intact um, potentially. Like there's a difference between his his act of selflessness here, his act of potential self sacrifice, and actual justice for that for those girls. 
Um, and that's probably a criticism of what Ireland has done or has not done. Like, I think that's part of it. And I think he's just like a regular schlub. Like, he's just a regular dude. Um, and it's only because of the backstory we get of him that he would even dare to make this decision. But I think it's like trying to understand why the people of Ireland for 200 fucking years are like, don't even worry about it. Don't even look down there. I, I think that's that's the, the question there about like, why did they do like I mean, it's not quite the same as like collective guilt when you talk about things like the Holocaust or something like that. But like, why did the Irish people just not do anything? What were they so afraid of? The church. Yeah, but like a church that was fucking like that was a question I had earlier. That was like, how do these women, you know, women and girls, end up there? And it's all sorts of ways. Like their families just dump them there. Reform schools that send them there. They can get orphans. Orphans, they get arrested for some sort of crime, and they send them. So it was like the Irish, the Catholic Church was like in every, is like an octopus with a tentacle in every, you know, aspect of Irish oh. life. But it's, yeah, but it wasn't a Japanese porno <laughs> where they have actual tentacles in. T- but uh, no, so why is it the Irish people just to- like allowed this? And I think why part- do all other countries tolerate them raping their kids? Like, oh, they were. Loosely punished, not really. They paid some people off, but like no one really got really. Maybe a handful of priests went to jail. Maybe I don't know. Most of them are still out there. They're all here the, in America. The term where Catholics for, aren't really that important. <laughs> no, one of the earliest groups to be discriminated against. God damn it! You know, sometimes you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Though technically, I have to correct you, uh, Jimmy, that the term for a handful of priests is a hand job full of priests. <laughs> uh, that's the techni- the term of pl- of venery for <laughs> for priests. That's oh, a whole a whole bunch of priests. You sure, it's not, you sure it's not a gobble? Uh, I mean, there's, there, it depends on the quantity. There's like different rounds, like a pilfering have, of priests. Yes, uh, there's and then and actually a group for a name for a group of altar boys is a temptation of altar boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> um. So yeah, so I think its book is, I agree with Nate, I think it's too short to be truly effective. And like it says less, you know, you have to like, oh my God, you have to like, you read a thing, you're like, oh fuck, that's what that means. I feel like she could have done more to show the horribleness and and make it clearer for like, a, you know, a wider audience who's less familiar with this topic. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you need to be like so explicit about it. I mean, who's who's to say like, if she's writing this for Irish people, like they fucking know. She's like, I'm gonna write this, and I hope that everybody in Denmark and Delaware also gets it. She's like, I'm just writing this fucking thing. It's for me and my people about what fuckheads we are. And, you know, you don't have to be explicit about all the horrible shit without you know. You, you, the point gets across that things are bad there. And yeah, you probably would have just, out of necessity of writing a longer book, like have to have more stuff in it. It's just because this book is so short. And yeah, I, I, I liked it. I did. I don't. I thought it ended too soon. I don't think it's going to win the Booker. I think it's a good book about a more important topic than the book is good. Uh, I would be very surprised if it makes the short list. This is the first one I read, but I would be pretty surprised. Yeah, I, I just don't think it's going to quite make it. You know, my, my, um, the things that I think a Booker winner usually has some quant, some of the, like all these five qualities is usually some sort of political or social topical message. 
usually is written really well, obviously. Um, they're often, though not always, very, like, there's some creativity in the way they're told. Like, Lincoln and the Bardo didn't that win? Like, that was fucking super creative. Mm. Um, A An experimental, almost kind of writing novel. There's, there's been at least one or two, like, stream of consciousness novels to win. You know, there's, like, that could, that could earn you more points to compensate for something else. I think, like, how interesting the story actually is. And so this one has, has that. I mean, it has some of these things. It has all of them, of course. It's not, like, a total, you know, nothing book. And then I think there is, like, does this author represent, kind of, like, tied to, like, the political, social thing? Is this author, does this author do? Is this author the kind of person that should win an award? Will that be, like, making a statement or something? And I just don't think this is really scores high enough on all those criteria for me. To, like I would be confident this is going to win. I think this is a low low chance win. Fast read, not a bad read. I just think this one's good, but it's, it's better than average. Better than the average book. Better yeah, than ninety five percent of books I, I that are published. Enjoyed reading it. It's like yeah, that's a very good book. But in terms of like Booker Award winner, best book of the year, I don't know. It has the uh, Booker winners tend to need to have like an importance to them. Like you know they need to have, like. Like it's very, it's, it's very, very rare for a comedy to win the Booker. Only It's only happened a handful of times. Hmm. They're usually very serious, heartbreaking fucking books. Like, <laughs> so yeah. this has that, but it just doesn't do it enough. That it, it, Having not read anything else on the list so far, I'm sure something else is going to be much more of a gut punch than this. So I just don't think it's going to win. That's my guess. I, I would say... Uh, a long shot for the shortlist. I think this is a... But it's not a bad read. It'll take you an hour and a half. Quick, yeah. I guess we'll see. All right. Tell us what you thought. Send us an email to DrunkGuysBookClub at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DrunkGuysBC. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at DrunkGuysBookClub. And if you've listened this long and you want to support the podcast, you can head over to Patreon.com slash DrunkGuysBookClub. And uh, that'd be swell. That'd be certainly better than being in one of these fucking laundries. If you don't want to do that, you can also leave a review. That'd be cool. Or just tell people to listen to it. Hopefully people who have access to podcasts, not someone who's in a Magdalene laundry, because I imagine they couldn't, because they were in the past. Um, <laughs> and you can also join us on Goodreads and talk about things that are reading and goods. And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.